Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Welcome to another podcast from We're All Little Crazy. I'm Darren Ravel, along with my usual compatriots, Eric Houston and Theo Fleury. And the past couple of weeks, we have had athletes talk about their mental health struggles. Uh, and Eric and I had talked uh, about uh, an, an athlete who unfortunately uh, died by suicide this past week. And it got us into a conversation that led to a tweet related to that that said, you know, that we, we, we had said that this is not about athletes. This is about athletes just mirroring society. And it's very important. We've always thought that it was very important to say that while many of our influencers in our group are athletes, it's how we get attention. It's how people look at us. It's how people, when we're doing presentations, do not use their phones, look at their phones. Uh, the athletes are just a conduit to the story. And we, we felt that this week it was very important to tie it back to athletes are just a piece of society that we highlight. And it's not about athletes. Uh, it's about society and mental health struggles and the continuum that we all live on. So with that, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Eric to give us some statistics about just society at large society and then and then schools and how schools are handling this because I, i'm going to read your exact tweet darren because it's important for people to hear who maybe aren't on twitter your tweet was related to the loss of um a, a woman named olivia podmore who is an olympian for new zealand a cyclist and you said mental health related tragic loss of an olympian today with so many stories of athlete mental health emerging we need to understand that this isn't an athlete mental health issue. It's a societal issue highlighted by the stories of athletes. And we got to get to work. And that's such an important point. And you and I talk before your tweets a lot. And we put together what we think is salient points so that people can understand the difference here. Because I'm going to say something very blunt right now. We have more and more athletes talking than ever before. I know Theo is going to back me up on this. But the message is still not getting through the right way. The message is still about disorder. It's I'm this athlete. This disorder happened. And then the naysayers say, yeah, but you're a quitter. You didn't really have that. That disorder is not real. And we're not explaining to people how mental health lives across this continuum that we are all on. It's still being positioned as an athlete falls in this bucket of the one in five, and they're sick. So why is that important? Well, when we look at the history of what's going on in schools right now, before the pandemic ever began, okay, when I say the pandemic, this pandemic with COVID, 
July 1st of 2018, important date. That was the first time any state in our country mandated mental health education. That's mind-boggling to think about. Only three years ago, that was the first state to mandate mental health education. Okay? So you go 2018 into 1920, and then what happens in 20? We have COVID. So anything that we were doing proactively with some of the states like a New York that potentially you could say we're ahead of the curve, put those to the side because we've got so many other things to focus on with PPE and with virtual learning, this stuff takes a back seat. So what does the federal government start to do? Well, we start to get funding, right, in, in the form of billions going to states. I'll give one state in particular uh, our guest knows this state intimately well. Actually, you you know this state intimately well, Theo, Illinois, both having played for the Blackhawks, is that Illinois, $7 billion going for what they call, quote, pandemic relief. And then within these bills going to the states, the term is SEL, social and emotional learning. They say at least 20% of those funds. So billions of dollars. Okay, that sounds like a positive thing, right? SEL, social emotional learning. Isn't that mental health? going towards evidence-based interventions to support students' academic and SEL needs. Couldn't be a more general explanation than what I just read right there, okay? So what does that mean to a district when they get that, when that money comes to them? And a big buzz term that I'm hearing when I'm going into schools is, we got to make up for the learning loss, right? We lost a year of math. We lost a year of science, right? And, I, and I, I bite my tongue every time I hear that because it's an old school way of thinking. We just lived through something that created resiliency and also knocked people on their butt. The life learnings that came from that and how we actually have to prepare people from what they just went through and learning loss is a buzz term. How about how are we preparing students and teachers, not just students? How are we building resiliency? So for this episode, I thought the best guest to have on is a guy that I've become friends with recently. Theo definitely knows him. They're both Canadians. So, I mean, Canadians, for whatever reason, y'all freaking know each other through through. Because there's the only channel. three people in the country. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were already talking another language with each other before we were getting on. But drafted by the Canucks, played for the Isles, so I got to give a – Big shout out there. Kings, Blackhawks, Thrashers, Canadians. Wins a Stanley Cup as a defenseman 2010 with those Blackhawks. Uh, so Canadian living in Florida. Another reason why Theo will love him because there's a lot of golf going down in Florida. And 14 years in the NHL. But why was he the perfect guest, right? The, uh, Darren talked about the fact that we have a lot of athlete influencers. Brent Sopel, who I just was talking about with all those statistics, has a story of what he went through as a child, challenges that he faced, the way that his brain was a little bit different, and how those challenges impacted his mental health. And as we go through the story, the narrative that I'm going to share here, and we're going to share here, is that what he was faced with and how that impacted his mental health would not be picked up by these changes that we're, being, that we're seeing, even with the billions being thrown, even with the pandemic having just happened and this now being a highlighted issue for schools to talk about. So first off, Brent, welcome to the show. Well, thanks gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Theo, it's uh, always good to have the Western Canadian boys come golf anytime. Doors open. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just got off the golf course. So 
What'd you shoot? 73. Listen, I shoot this. I, I flip that around. I shoot that in the first two holes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, retired life. I got to, you know, play the army golf. Got to get the full course. So, um, <laughs> left, right, left, right. So, uh, no guys, you know, I appreciate, uh, appreciate it. Uh, but I, you know, I want to, first off, did we all put our pants on the same way today? I don't I have lululemons. So. I know girls girls jump off the bed to get their lululemons, but to my point of that, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. We all live this together, you know, and athletes um, know we're part of the solution, but we're just a little drop in the bucket. This world is big, you know, and so is it giving me a platform to have a conversation with you guys? Absolutely. But am I any different than any of you guys? Or you know the guy who delivered my mail today? Absolutely not. You know, and I think that's the biggest point is to me, we're we're all the same. And and you say we're all the same, Brent, right? And like the name of the our organization is same here, then not surprisingly, right? I don't think you and I choreograph that to say that. And the way that we've shared before, the way that Theo and I came to know each other was in having this idea that we're all the same, Theo was sharing his story before we ever met. He was sharing the X's and O's of what he went through. He wasn't leading with, I have this thing called PTSD. Let me tell you about the five out of list of 20 symptoms that I've got that make me qualified for this on the DSM-5, right? And, and I bring that up, Brent, because you're going to be talking a lot about dyslexia. That's one of your passion points. It's something that you're challenged with. But it's something that because of that, quote, disability, right? It's another term we'll talk about, whether it's the right term, whether it's not. It's not something that as a school student, teachers necessarily would have picked up on in this model of what's currently now mental health and said, oh, Brent fits in the depressed category. Brent fits in the anxious category, right? This construct of how we're looking at mental health, how stories are being told through athletes still in 2021, and here we have Brent who's going to tell us his story, that wouldn't have been picked up on by a teacher to know that what he was challenged with was impacting his mental health. So Brent, if you wouldn't mind, like take us back, you know, being a kid, you, you've shared this stuff with me personally, so I know a lot of these stories and I... They're they're awesome, but but you're a relatable guy and 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 you're a great storyteller. So start wherever you want, but I think it's going to lead so much into the narrative of us being able to discuss. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll go back to obviously I was born in God's country, uh, that's Canada for everybody. You know, Theo and I, uh, Western Canada boys. You know, I grew up um, thinking I was dumb, and what does that mean? You know, I found out I was reading at a grade four level in high school. So everybody's like, hi, oh, just work harder. You know, just just study more. No, where did I spend my life? I spent my life on the outdoor rink. You know, in Saskatchewan, uh, you know, from American North Dakota, Montana border, you go north. You know, it's minus 15 in the wintertime, so there's an outdoor rink everywhere. You know, for the recess, I'd be out in the ice. That was the only place in the world where I didn't have to do a math problem or have to read. You know, so what dyslexia is, I was born with my right brain wired differently. So when I grabbed that first book, year old, two year old, three year old, that was the first day I started struggling. You know, so we go back, Robin Williams, everybody knows who he is. Everybody talks about his, you know, the suicide, the depression. He's dyslexic. 
So what kicked off what? You know, so I was struggling and I just wanted to fit in in school. We all did. You know, grade three, you want to be cool with all your friends. And grade eight, you want the chicks to like you. But I couldn't read. You know, I got tested in grade eight. And they're like, oh, you're reading and at Brent, grade and four Brent, level. You don't, you don't just to be, to because I asked you this question, but I think it's an important question for people to know. You don't know you have this thing called dyslexia when you're younger. You just know that you're struggling reading. And, and, and right, uh, uh, hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I'm taking it from what you've shared with me before. I think that's an important thing because while you're struggling with dyslexia, we think about the child who's just slower to learning to read or has a difficult time making out the words or doesn't like reading in front of a classroom, right? Continue with the story. But I want people to understand that like, yeah. it's not like someone was like, hey, Brent, this is what's wrong. Everyone else in the class knows and is okay with this right now. We're all the same. This is all good. You're dealing with this feeling like you're on your own. You're the only one who can't read. No, you're bang on. Obviously, you and I had this conversation. But I'll preface this saying I didn't find out I was dyslexic until I was 32 years old. So I almost went through my whole NHL career. I, you know, I almost had a Stanley Cup under my belt. And that's when I found out what dyslexia is. So uh, dyslexia is one in five. It's hereditary. So, you know, cancer is one and two, not hard. Next is dyslexia. So, you know, I can tell stats all day long. 80% of dyslexics never get diagnosed in school. So, you know, I thought I was dumb. Now, you tell somebody they're dumb, you know, work harder, you're lazy, work harder, you're dumb. Get thrown in the hallway because I'm messing around. There's no such thing as a class clown or a bully. There's a reason why. Was I a bully? Yeah, I turned out to be a bully. I've been this height since I was like 12. You know, I'm an ass because I always did that. But that was the only way I knew how to protect myself. The funny kid, oh, everybody's laughing. You don't know what's inside. You have no idea. They judge the book by a cover. You know, so 50% of people in prison in the world are dyslexic. You know, so people are like, oh, I would never do that. Absolutely you would. If you can't read, how do you get a job? You know, if I wasn't good at hockey, I'll tell you right now, I would have been dead. I've looked at suicide many times. I would be dead years ago. I was almost from the drugs and alcohol. Why? Because you told me I'm dumb. And I thought that. And I'll live with that for the rest of my life. And, you know, like I said, 80% don't get diagnosed with dyslexia. So I'm still, you know, 44, almost 45. I still think I'm dumb every day. You know, so you got all these kids. You send you send them in the hallway for messing around. Oh, uh, you know, this teacher, go do this. Do you know what that means? What that does to a kid? No. All we want to fit in. I, oh, I just want, you know, I want Sarah to like me or I want Johnny to like me. You just want to fit in and you can't. You are the biggest outcast in the world. And. You know, for reading, the biggest, you know, gap of reading areas were grade three and four. Because that's when you learn, you know, learn the most. You know, I was talking to my daughter. I'm like, what's, pro what's the pronoun? I don't know. I'm almost 45 years old. I have never read a book in my life. I'm really? Never. Really? Wow. So I've, I used to tell my kids stories. And it was funny. I just had my, my daughter with me. Um, she's the reason why we're having this conversation. She's dyslexic and, um, she was struggling reading 
we took her to neuropsych and got her tested, came back dyslexia. So that's how I found out. But she was with me uh, this weekend before she goes to college. She goes, Dad, can you tell me one of those stories? She's 19 years old. My kids don't know about me reading a book. If I need, if I need help, I can hand it to my kids. So as a man, how do, how do I feel? You know, what's interesting to me, uh, having gone through, as, as I have a, a seven-year-old right now, who is, I have seven-year-old twins. Uh, one is a great reader and one is a bad reader. And uh, when you, we've gotten so much better at diagnosing everything to some extent because we have constructs that are set up in the schools that, but unfortunately, they're very guided towards exact, has to qualify right here. So the, the, the example, so what happened, so what happened was, so what happened was my son, my son, when they tested him was above the level that he should have been to get help. Right. So now we've gotten better with the whole idea of diagnosing, but now we have gotten into a diagnosis problem. What where, is diagnosis, Darren? It's labeling and bucketing again. Right, right, right. right. And yeah, and and and, and, and now, now it asks me, it makes me think, are we better off? Because now you've decided where my son needs to be. And by the way, state qualified. To, to, to for me to so you know what i'll get him in my own tutor so something's failed there well you know dyslexia or if you're going with learning disorders you've got to go to a neuropsych you know what a neuropsych costs anywhere from three thousand to five thousand who's got that money i don't so go back to your point people just fall through the, they don't have the money parents want to but they don't have the money and brent like you look at, you know, you talk about a neuropsych eval. I can't wait to hear Theo's take on this because Darren just shared his point and it happens so serendipitously, right? Like we don't plan and choreograph how these conversations are going to go. And so one of my fears was, are people going to say, this is the episode only about dyslexia and, and Brent, hopefully you don't take that the wrong way. Meaning that dyslexia is not an important topic <laughs> as he, as he makes a, makes a face and, and, a, and a gesture at me. Meaning what we're, what we're using Brent's story with dyslexia to shed light on is how much things are falling through the cracks in schools based on challenges that different kids face. Brent opened up his story by saying, did we each put our pants on the same way? And what he's saying is that was his challenge. And then Darren comes in without you know, me teeing him up and says, well, my one child who's a twin is reading at a different level than another child, by the way, which has nothing to do with dyslexia. So we believe at least until this point. And now that child, the way that he feels about himself is a challenge. Okay. And Theo, I can't wait to hear you talk about, you know, I know you always talk about grade 12 diploma for Moose Jaw, but even the the time in school leading up to that point, right, and and what it was like in school, because you talk about the tumultuous nature of growing up in the household that you did. I'm sure school was not quote easy for you in grades K through six, and then maybe even beyond that. What we're trying to display here for everyone is 
there is a challenge for each of us. And what we're doing right now as a school is we're saying, does this child fit in this category of depression and depression only? And what does that look like? And that's what social emotional learning has become. Instead of lived experiences, instead of the challenges that we all face, instead of the obstacles, we're all going over. So, Theo, I'd love to hear a little bit on your end, just memories that pop into your head as a kid. I can give some school memories myself, but memories that pop into your head being a kid, even being a gifted athlete, Mm. where you struggle a little yourself. Well, you know, how old is America? How old is America? 1776, buddy. Okay. Canada is 150 years old. So our school system has been exactly the same for that long. Okay. And, you know, what I know about neuroscience is that everybody's chemistry is different, which means everybody learns differently. Right. So we need to blow up the system that has been since 1776 and realize that, you know, my brain is not a English brain. My brain is a math brain. I see a, I see a math problem, I can solve it. You show me a book, forget it. It's not happening, right? Mm-hmm. And so because I'm not good at English, then I get labeled as whatever, you know, yep. a problem kid where, yep. you know, in grade four, uh, I sat the whole entire year beside my teacher's desk with my back facing the students. Yes. You think that was traumatizing a little bit? (laughs) So what we're doing, what we're doing to kids is we're traumatizing kids in school. Right. And, you know, we're labeling them as dumb or stupid or whatever, because that's the easy way out. And why aren't we trying to find all of your amazing qualities and focus on them so that you come out of school going, I'm confident. I feel good about myself. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. And, and normalizing exactly where my path is going to take me, because if you're pushing me to be a lawyer, it's not going to happen. Yep. Right. And, and, and so Theo, it's, it's normalizing, like- normalizing, because you said highlighting your strengths, but also normalizing the things that you struggle with. And no, showing just, that let's just say struggle. my brain doesn't work that way, and and right. that's and that's okay. You right? know, question boys, and that statistic: how many? What's the percentage of people that you think have something different? One hundred percent. Five and five, right? Yeah. And, and 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 here's what happens: is Theo, you said the magic words about how schools look at this because they look at it in a binary way. The good kid and the bad kid, the well-behaved kid and the misbehaved kid, the happy kid and the sad kid, right? It's 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 one or the other. And why do they do that? Because it's then easier to run the class, right? And and by the way, your experience with sitting, you know, facing the back of the room, I was put next to teachers' desks all the time. Um, you know, uh, uh, so I know exactly what Don't that experience is. Stand in the corner. Like. Yep. Go stand in the corner, or you're getting called out to the principal's office like that's, automatically. That's child abuse. That well, is child abuse. But but why it is, is it being done? And Theo, what is falling through the cracks based on what Brent just said, which is 
on the one hand, is child abuse, yes, to the kids that we're doing it to who we notice and we've put into that category of the bad kid, one, we're not finding out what is going on in their life. In Brent's case, having dyslexia. In Theo's case, having a volatile household. In my case, having a brother who's sick growing up. We're not asking those questions and finding out what's going on in the children's life that's leading to that behavior. That child's not a bad kid. But I'll say another thing, Brent, because you're struggling reading, right? Or Theo's saying he's struggling in English. But we're in a class, and here's what we see. We see a kid being quiet and not being moved, not having their seat moved next to the teacher, and all they're doing is sitting there listening and taking notes. Those of us who our behavior is a little bit different because of the challenges we're facing, we're looking at the rest of those kids and we're saying, I am the dumb kid. I am the messed up kid. No one else is going through these things, which is why I'm saying it's as important to normalize the challenges we face as it is to highlight the strengths that we have. Go okay, ahead, so, so here we are. Here's, here's a guy like Brett who, you know, has some challenges. But what's he really good at? He's really good at hockey. He's really good at athletics. His brain is an athletic brain, right? That's where he feels safe. That's where he feels comfortable. That's where he gets everything that he's not getting in his life. He's getting in that team environment with encouragement. And, you know, he's, he stands out. And it's very similar to my story. So does it doesn't understand, doesn't, doesn't understand or has a hard time grasping the topics that you want him to be good at. But guess what? He's a genius at space, uh, uh, opening of spaces, and his and and although his his brain doesn't work fast when you ask him to look at a book, his brain works like a savant when it comes to speed of people in front of him. Yeah. So, so with all of these athletes experiencing mental health issues, so is the whole entire world right now. Like if you look at um, the world as a whole and, you know, a guy like me who's an empath, when I walk out the door every day, I get absolutely almost blown over with anxiety because the whole entire world is in a very anxious space because we don't know what the future holds, looks like, nothing. Right. So we're all living in fear, which creates anxiety, which creates stress, which creates cortisol production. And here we are. Right. So, you know, normalizing the conversation to say that there isn't one single human being on the planet right now who isn't experienced some sort of mental health challenge. It's it's all about money. That's it. You know, Theo says. We all learn differently. Teach us differently. No, we can't. Eric, you're talking about, you know, the, the smart kid. You know, they're falling through the gap point because it costs us more money to individualize. They don't care. You know, for an example, the Federal Reserve in the U.S., that's privately held. What? So none of these, these kids don't have a chance because the money's more important than the mental health of these kids. 
or anybody else there. That dollar figure runs the world. Until we can flip that and start taking care of each other, and that's what the four of us do right here, right now. Eric, how many conversations late at night you know, we text? That's how it is. You take care of each other and we build. You can't get to two till you get to one. And that's, you know, Theo's Theo's line that he uses a lot on this show and then and then when we have meetings is we collect people, right? And, you know, I got introduced to Brent through our friend Emily Kaplan, who was a guest on this show from ESPN. And Emily was just like, you and Brent will get each other. <laughs> Go talk. Like that was essentially her message, right? And Brent's right. It's it's the people who want to help other people holding hands. And there's money working against us. There's no question, right? Um, there's powers working against us. The only way we change this, Brent and I talk about late night conversations. It'll be on Instagram. It was the other night. We're like one person at a time. Theo says it one person at a time. And, and if we keep collecting people one person at a time, this grows into an army. But but the messaging has to be on point with that, right? And I, and I think this, what we're discussing here is such an important piece because we are in schools. As an organization, same here is in schools, right? We have, we now today just secured another district. So we're in 15 districts in New York. That's close, that's over a hundred schools, right? We're talking with Clark County right now in Nevada. We've got the relationship with Robin Lanner. Hopefully that ends up coming to fruition. What I'm seeing when I'm going into these schools, and I want you guys to give an opinion on this, is I'm seeing a lot of what I saw back in the 80s with just say no to drugs, which was I'm seeing an assembly that addresses a particular niche issue, right? There's a presenter that comes in and talks about their addiction problem. There's a presenter that comes in and talks about their struggle with bipolar specifically and doesn't give a broader perspective on how this is my challenge but this is a challenge amongst how all of us have challenges, right? That That's issue number one. Then you get issue number two, which is the other piece of that curriculum is just curriculum. It's put it in, have the teacher play it. If we're lucky, we do this thing called self-care where we learn a breathing practice. We check the box because we're doing self-care in schools. And we're not educating our kids on the different challenges we all face, that some are more visible than others. I'm going to D.C. on the 15th, two days from now, and I'm going to this, this, this nonprofit organization that's about developmental disabilities. And they're asking me to talk about normalizing the conversation. They asked me to come, even though my background is in mental health here. And the main takeaway that I'm trying to share is the young child who's asking me the question in this panel who's stuttering, unfortunately, when he's talking or is having a difficult time getting the conversation out. His communication is his challenge. But that doesn't mean that all of us sitting up on that panel don't all have something that is going on that is impacting us, that is holding us back. And until that message is universally understood by teachers, parents, students, school administration, guess what we're going to continue to do? We're going to continue to do what Theo was just saying before. Good kid, bad kid. Well-behaved kid, misbehaved kid. It's not going to change. So, you know, 
for 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 Brent, if you don't mind going a little more into you know when you're when you when you're not reading at the level that everyone else is, because I think it's people hear dyslexia like they might hear you know any other thing challenge that someone's going through and say like oh well that's Brent's challenge, but the bigger picture thing here is within dyslexia, how does that then start to impact your mental health? I mean you you've shared with me things like. I hope I don't, you don't mind me revealing this, like drinking a beer at five years old, right? Like, I know that might sound ridiculous to people, but like, weren't you searching for something to get yourself out of the pain that you were in? Yeah, that beer tasted so good. You know, kids wanted <laughs> Kool-Aid. I love that beer. And, you know, so for dyslexia, you know, they all think it's just flipping your B's and D's. Yes, is that part of it? Yeah, you know. Fair, you're lucky because I look at a math problem. Sam, Sam drove ten miles. I have no idea where Sam is. I don't. I'm not. No, no. I flip my numbers. I flip my letters. I'm not good at either one of them because I had zero self-esteem. And I don't care if you're rocket scientist or you're, you know, Theo wins a, you know, a Stanley Cup. We've got gold medals. You got self. You don't have self-esteem. You've got nothing in life. And you know, I had none. I went to somewhere, which is called school, for eight hours a day, and I hated myself. You know, I wanted a pretty pretty girl in the corner like me. I couldn't read. How's that, how's that going to get me? No. So, you know, oh, I'd be the funny kid, make somebody laugh. I, I picked up a desk and threw it at a kid in grade three. Yeah, and, you know, I turned to be a bully. You know, so for me, for, for reading, you know, if I don't, if the word doesn't sound out and spell the same, I won't get it. I can't get it. We are very fanatic. Like I've tried to Google words. There's not even, I'm so far off basis. There's not even a word in the English dictionary comes up in Google. How does that make me feel? You know, in my company, you know, I've got an email address written down. I cannot take it from a paper to a computer without doing it wrong. You know, so 44 years old, you know, how's that self-esteem? You know, if I would have caught in this and knew that there was something to me when I'm seven years old or 10 years old, I wouldn't have the scars. I wouldn't have been doing the drugs that I was doing. I was almost dead at 40. I've looked at suicide multiple times. You know, I always talk about cancer. You want to find out in stage one, as they call it, right? I'm, you know, for all of us, all we want to do is find out how kids learn at a young age. Can I get a kid, you know, so I'm dyslexic, dysgraphia, which is a reading disorder, and decalca is, you know, is a math. And I'm ADHD. 30% of dyslexics are ADHD. So I'm all over the place. They give kids Adderall at young ages, Vyvanse. Guess what? Now you start developing a drug-induced state. So now what do you want? Now you're normal as drugs. You know what Adderall yeah. is? It's synthetic cocaine. Yeah, that's what it is. And I love my cocaine. It ups our anxiety. So you think you're oh, getting yeah. the kid to read better. And I went through this. Oh, Eric, you're 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 describing cognitive dysfunction and, and diff difficulty with uh, executive functioning. Here's Vivance. Here's Nuvigil. Here's Provigil. Here's Adderall. And what it's doing is it's driving my anxiety higher, which guess what? It's making my cognition worse, not better. Right. And so. We're, Sarah, we're, can we're, I go? Can yeah. can I go back to what you, what you said? Because I, I really don't think we can miss it. Because I remember going through the, 
the um, seeing the school assembly where there was a person with HIV or AIDS and seeing and and when you left that assembly, you're like, wow, that guy's life changed. Like and you don't see yourself in that. And that that I think, you know, for someone who came along to we're all a little crazy, you know, that was the one thing that and I don't think I ever realized it before, but that's why it was so special because I think everyone's and I'm not tooting our own horns. I'm just saying that people you you need presentations where people see the continuum and even the kids understand that this is not uh someone who is at the extreme and that's who they are it's someone who's at the extreme that you can also get to and you and and bring yourself back that says one comment and then the other comment is you know some of this also is about finding where you do have confidence brent you know like for me as an adult so so it's very hard for me uh like i knew i couldn't play sports worth anything but i went to the greatest sports camp in the country and my wife is like who were you why would you go there Guys were unbelievable. There were guys who played Division One, and you'd get schooled, and you'd be on the D team. And I'm like, I didn't – it never registered. All I wanted to do was be on the court or the field with those guys, and it never registered. And just because I had that thinking, which is a gift, when I became a parent, it became more difficult because I then had – I realized that my kids were not the same way. And so I then had to find the sport that each of my kids would get on the field with. And it wasn't, I'm going to drill them so good that I'm going to make them better. It's what's the sport that they could like that then they could become good enough. So So this is all about you couldn't read, you couldn't do math. And it's all about like life's journey to find what can you do? And I bet, and I bet the reason you made the NHL was because you couldn't read and you couldn't do math, <laughs> right? I mean, like oh, 100% that- my dyslexia, 100% made me make the NHL. Yeah, you know, another stat is 50% of people working at NASA are dyslexic because we see in a 3, 3D image. Yeah, I was always rated one of the slowest and one of the ugliest in NHL, but I knew where they were going before they did. My anticipation was off the charts, you know? And so go back to one of your points is you, you talked about the, the guy come and do the presentation with the HIV. There's something called that dare program. You know, when you're in grade five, I can tell you from my kids, friends, uh, other relationships, they make this dare program and drugs seem so great that the kids leave there wanting to do drugs. Come on. It goes, or, I, or or Brent, I can tell you. or uh, on top of that, and this piggybacks on both your points and Darren. What was the campaign within these these drug programs when we were all kids? It was just say no. Okay, <laughs> Darren and I grew up with it more in the U.S. You guys probably saw it coming in Canada. It was Nancy Reagan's Nancy program? Nancy Reagan, yeah, yep. yeah. And what 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 Darren picked up on, which yes, is a tenant of what's same here. We're all a little crazy. Is is that even if, Brent, let's say they didn't make drugs sexy. Let's say they made them look bad. The point is, those sessions were focused on drugs are bad. 
the, fo- the sessions were not focused on what life is, which is why do people turn to drugs? What are the things that we are covering up? What are the commonalities and what we all face? And as Darren was describing the continuum, my mind went to, yeah, you're right, Darren. Like part of the reason why we share the continuum is because we want kids to know anyone could be anywhere at any given point. But here's another reason. I'm, I'm not getting cutesy with this. I, I really mean this. Yes, there's the kid who's blurting out things in class. And yes, the ki- there's the kid who you would say is on the further end of that continuum scale or spectrum with, as it pertains to mental health. But there's also a kid who's sitting in that, that audience who has awful stomach problems and has explosive diarrhea when they go home every day or has to go to the bathroom in the middle of school. And no one has any friggin' idea that that kid is going through that. And that is that person's challenge. And then there's another kid who has a numbness in the bottom of his foot but you would never know because when he walks, he's covering it up well. That's that kid's challenge, and that's the reason why that kid can't play sports at the same level that a Brent or a Theo can. And educating people to understand, kids to understand that each of us have some things, some are more visible than others, that's the only way this gets better. Because if not, we're recycling the same old bullshit. We're doing an assembly program where we're patting ourselves on the back that we covered a topic area and we're not making people better human beings. Yeah, because we're not teaching them compassion and empathy. We're teaching judgment and pointing the fingers, right? Yep. Because we live in a more than, less than world, right? Yep. And so we need to get rid of all of the, you know, like I said, the old way of doing this obviously doesn't work because we are in a whatever you call it pandemic epidemic of mental health that we have never witnessed in our entire life and you know your your story eric to me is perfect sense because you went to somebody who actually asked you the question what happened right they didn't say bell let's talk they said, what happened to you? What happened to you? And, and, and until we actually get a few layers deeper into the conversation that has to have compassion and empathy, right? Because what do we do for a living? We listen to people's stories, right? And if, and if I wasn't sort of in the brand space that that I'm a guy who listens, who's compassionate, who has empathy. There isn't that. There isn't that, right? We're so afraid, we're so afraid to tell our story. And and so uh, I used this with my group a couple weeks ago. I said, are you living your story or are you telling your story? Because if you're living your story, you're still living in the secrecy of I am struggling and I can't think and I'm this and I'm that and my life is just, you know what I mean? And somebody needs to step in and say, dude, I know where, you, I know where you've been. I've been there, man. I had a gun in my mouth 16 years ago. I had a gun in my mouth, right? So I understand, I, I, I can relate to where you're at right now. But I also say, I was where you're at, but look, look, 
I'm, I'm much better now. Why? Because somebody allowed me to tell my story. Yeah. Right. And that's at, at the basic thing of what we're talking about. And the reason why we're all together is because somebody listened to the story. And you said, Theo, you were jumping out of your seat. I don't know if you noticed the body language when Brent was talking before and he said self-esteem. Yeah. You were pointing and you were pointing. But, but and that's, the reason that's, that is a symptom yes. of experiencing trauma. I'm not good enough. And trauma go together because that's what trauma teaches us and becomes a core. And when you think you're the only one. Yes. That's the other piece, right? Because Theo, yeah. what, you, what I just heard you talking about for the last two minutes is victimization. It's yeah. it's it's people staying in their stuff and believing they're the only ones and they have it worse than anyone else, right? right. And people hate. I know that there's people out there who hate when we bring this up, but diagnosed dyslexic, diagnosed PTSD, diagnosed PTSD, diagnosed anxiety. Guess what? We would be in that camp right of the people who are going to hate me for saying this we would be diagnosed but what i'm saying is we are not our label <laughs> that does not define who we are and in fact you know brent was asked if he made the nhl because of the challenges that he faced and he said yes i fully believe i'm here talking with people and able to help people and friggin' on a call with a guy who who was a savant and knew to get on twitter in 2009 and get two million followers and two nhl players because I went through what I went through. That's why I gave me my superpower. And yeah, unless, it's, yeah. it's your gift. Yes. It is your gift to the world. And so many people look at mental illness or, you know, these labels as, oh my God, like the world is ending. It's over. I love my mental health. You know why I love my mental health? Because it forces me to be better. It forces me to take action. It forces me, you know, it builds adversity in me, which and adversity builds resilience. And when you have resilience, it's like, whatever, throw, throw whatever you can at me because I've already faced the hardest, most difficult thing in my life. And I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. And I'm, and I'm actually contributing more to society now than I ever did as an athlete. Each one of us is different. God made us differently. I had somebody ask me on a podcast, what would you tell your younger self? I said, nothing. I need to go through every one of those lessons to get here today. Today, I am the best product of Brent Sopel there is. And yeah. you know, if I can make it to the 28th of August, I'll be sober five years. And that's the day my life started changing where I started living and feeling the feelings and not burying them with drugs and alcohol. Oh, does it suck? Fuck yeah. Did it hurt? Yeah, but I can look in the mirror today and say, Brent, I love you. Know it, believe it, and feel it. But I would go to I would go to battle, and I know this is a cliche. Man, that's a that's a that's a that's ama that's amazing. That's amazing. I I love. I'm sorry, Eric. I just no you no know. no. But, but look, you're 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 reacting, Darren, to that and saying it's amazing because I'm hearing it come from Brent, and obviously I know Darren and Theo as people. The resiliency that we've gained because of what we've been through. Like people might say, oh, Darren's cushy job going to the Olympics. No, 
when you're on camera in front of all those people and your brain has failed you and you're like, my career might be over right now. Everything I built might be gone right now. I might not be able to get on a plane because I'm afraid to get on a plane because my brain is not working right now. Like that is bottom, bottom of the barrel, the way that people feel, right? And so because of that, I use the term I would go to battle with. Those of us who've been open about our stories and have learned from them, those are the they're such great people to be around. There are people. And and in collecting those people, Theo, I think an interesting takeaway from this is because I get a lot of people who, you know, DM us on on on, on, on uh, social media and they're like, wow, like you guys are brave for telling your story. I, I can't wait till one day when I'm able to tell my story. And I, you know, you're, you're, you got to be careful with those people and say, look, you know, when you're ready, you're going to be able to tell it. But my rallying cry to people out there would be, when you tell it the way that you're able to get to the other side and own it and be able to be part of that battle tested group, there's no greater feeling because you, you, you feel like nothing else can take you down and don't allow yourself to live in the victimhood of what you've been through. You're thinking right now, you don't have the strength to tell it. And I get that everyone's at a different place. But I'm telling you, the, even when it's little bits and pieces that you start to put out there, when you start to own it to other people, that bag you're carrying gets less and less heavy. And what happens is that thing that you were reacting to Brent on, Theo, of self-confidence starts to grow and grow and grow. And, 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 and how many people live this life being put in the victim category and that's the category that they're comfortable in? Because that's the persona that they've developed and, and they don't know themselves other than I am Jim, the bipolar person, right? Not Jim with bipolar who's kicking ass, but Jim, the bipolar person, and they never get to live a full life of kicking ass, right? And, and I, I don't, hopefully that doesn't come off as insensitive and you guys could tell me if it does. I'm saying it in a way that I don't want people to fall victim to these labels in such a way that it stops them from living. How I look at it is the story is not for me. My story is not about me. It's about everybody else that's listening. Yep. I want to, I, I want to uh, hit on what Brent said, just the idea of, uh, you know, that what would you tell your younger self? And I'm just going back to parent um, because it's just been a, it's been a tough summer for me because I've had to let my oldest uh, go through some in in, adversity. in, a, in a fun in a fun way adversity right so you know uh we we in the uh the east coast us east coast jews brent i guarantee you, you've never heard this before uh we go to summer camp for two months and you know i did it when i was a young kid and everyone around us goes to summer camp and if you don't go, you you have to go, right? You have to go. And everyone goes to different camps. They try to spread it out. And, you know, she was very attached to her mother and just attached in general as a nine-year-old kid usually is. And the most we had ever gone without seeing her was six days. And now we were sending her away for 51 to a, to, to a person who the owner of the camp we met for two hours. And to me, it doesn't, as, as a kid, it didn't seem crazy, but as a parent, it seems bat s crazy. Like, 
Are you kidding me? Like you're sending her three hours away, no phone, no iPad. The only way you can communicate is write letters. Okay. So, so, and, and, and she struggled and she struggled, man, you know, she, it, 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 and it was so hard on us. And we got some letters where there were not nice things that were said. And ultimately we saw pictures where she was happy and of course it's really messed up now because the parents on the other side have like facial recognition software that they enter and then there's a picture of my daughter taken and it comes into my text and it's all messed up and that also messes you up because you're like why is she so close to the counselor she's not smiling is she having a bad day should we and but so it's just this complete mind f situation and you know we're picking her up on sunday and you know, it, it, the this is kind of like the version of what you would have told yourself. And you said, I wouldn't tell myself anything. I have to live the journey. It's the same. And it's it's a little bit uh, posh because it's a summer camp and she's having fun. But that that doesn't mean that she didn't struggle majorly. And and so if if it would be what did you tell, I would have never sent her and she would have never gone. And we let them, you know, get through and fight their own fight so that they are stronger in moments where they're being crushed. Yeah, participation ribbons. Really? Is life a participation? Yes. We all have to fight for jobs. You got to fight for relationships. You know, we're all guys or, you know, to date that. That's life. You know, I think, Theral, you could speak to this. And you did. You are where you are today because of all your battles, what you went through. Yeah. You know, we're trying to bury these kids. Oh, you know, you know, you, here's a silver platter. You go, you, you know, you get a participation. That's not life. Well, that, that's what you talked about. You know, you know, 51 days is a long time. But guess what? Those 51 days will make her who she is from it. Right. Now she goes, now she goes to college. Now she goes to college. Get, you know, when she's 18, she's not going to tell me she has to go 10 minutes away from my house. Yeah. My daughter's in college. I'm like, thank God she's not 10 minutes away from the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I remember when I left home when I was 15. Like, you know, I left a group of people who I basically was with for nine years straight because we played hockey, we played baseball, we golfed together, and I left that group. And so up until Christmas time, I couldn't wait to get home. I went home for Christmas and you know what I saw? Everybody doing the same thing. And I was like, you know what? Sorry guys, I am gonna try something else here. Sorry because guys, I'm out, I'm oop. And I still go back home and I see the same guys that never left, right? So once I made it to Christmas time, I was fine. You know, because I, I created a new space, I created new friends, I had new teammates, I had new different experiences, right? So, you know. And you and I are a little bit different in hockey is, you know, because I literally had this conversation. I left home at 16, you left at 15, and I've never been back. Yeah. I'm in Wow. I haven't wow. seen my parents in two years. Yeah. People are like, oh, do you miss them? No. And I'm not being rude. For you and I to do what we did, we had to cut cord. Yeah. So I love my parents. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, that's how we grew up. Yeah, like you said, you know, you go back. Same guys are doing the same thing. 
you know, back home in Saskatoon, doing the same thing. Yeah. What are you doing? Nothing. Collecting pogey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Playing some horseshoes. You want to play crib? <laughs> Bringing this full circle on the on on the whole conversation that we've had, and and you each shared Darren going to the the his camp with his with his his daughter, all the way to you two talking about you know having to leave home early. These are not the things that are taught in this thing called social emotional learning in school. And and that is where we are failing these kids. I'm going back to your comment, Theo. You're asking about like schools and how long they've been around and when you know the the schools that have been teach okay, they've been teaching the same way. Now all of a sudden, 2018, this thing called mental health mandate from New York comes into play now with some federal funding, social emotional learning. But we're, we're, we're having this conversation because we want school leaders, we want parents who talk to the school leaders to really discuss what social emotional learning is. And maybe that's not the right term for it. That's become the term in the industry. You, you know what it should be called? Trauma-informed education. <laughs> well, th there is some of that, in fairness, right? No, I know, but, but not enough. There's not enough. There's not no. enough. And with it, within trauma-informed, there's the ACE scores, right? And the yeah. ACE scores are these major things that you've been through, like the divorce of your parents or the loss of a family member. But they don't take into consideration things like, you know, um, I've had this existential thought from the time I was five years old that scares the crap out of me, and I think about it all the time, and it takes up all my headspace. That's not in the A scores, right? No. So, but it's still trauma. It's a trauma. No, no, no. Yeah. Theo, I'm, 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 I'm saying to you, it should be a yes and that the trauma, even the trauma informed that has the basis of A scores, isn't enough. We have to start opening up about what we face in our brain, in our body, in our day to day, all of those things, and to show that that doesn't make us weak. It makes us a human being, and if it makes us a human being, all the examples that you just gave, the three of you, it makes us stronger in the long run when we confront those challenges that we have. Because we have the wrong people that are doing it, because they haven't been through it, so you can't, you know, like for me, dyslexia, you can't tell someone who's non-dyslexic how to feel. So let's get the right people in that position. You're absolutely right. To have that, you know, empathy, and compassion. You don't have it if you haven't been through it, right? But here's what I'll so say. So get Brian. the right people in place. It might not okay. So it might not be someone who's 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 been dyslexic, right? But so we have a we have a we have a um a director of our same here schools program. And he does a session with teachers where he says, Okay, I want to picture that you all wake up in the morning, you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to come into class and to teach your your, your students. And you, you got your coffee and it's scolding hot coffee and you're excited that it's hot and you're in your car. And then all of a sudden this a-hole cuts you off, right? And now that this a-hole cut you off, you spilled your coffee. It got all over your shirt. You burned um, your chest from doing it. And now you're chasing after that a-hole who cut you off, okay? Now you bring into the school as you're teaching those kids how fired up you are because that a-hole did cut you off and you weren't able to catch up to him or you tried to give him the finger and tell him to go off and now you're pissed off about that. So then he takes a step back and he says, that guy who cut you off, 
probably what happened was he either got into a fight with his wife before leaving the house or his mom is sick, is in the hospital, got on the road, had no idea who Theo Fleury was, had no idea what car Theo Fleury was in, and likely because of what he was thinking about from the shit that happened to him in his house, didn't even notice that he cut Theo Fleury off. But guess what happened? You now took that as something against you. It changed your thought process, your feelings, and now you're bringing that in to how you're teaching the students. There's a way for us to, and why do I bring that up, Brent? Because there's a way for us to educate teachers in this model of the stuff we go through and how we bring it into relationship and how we bring it into empathy that I agree with you. Is it always better if you have a one-to-one and someone's been through what you've been through? Of course. But but the realities of the numbers, it's very difficult. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, and I, I agree with you. And, and let me just correct myself. Like, I'm not saying that they have to be dyslexic. I'm kind of going more back to Theo's. You got to have that empathy and that compassion, which goes back to you. If I, you know, if I, I say, Eric, screw you. What did I do? I just said words. You attach that feeling. So, you know, I just want to crack myself, you know, just that's all it is. You don't have to be dyslexic. You don't have to have to PhD, but you got to have some empathy and compassion to be able to be able to brush that off and not judge the book by the cover. So didn't mean to cut you off, but I just no, wanted, but Brent, know. Brent, it's, it's that. And I'll add another thing to that. It's the teachers have to be willing to be partners in this. In, in, in learning those things and not looking at them as, oh, additional things I got to know. No, I'm a chemistry teacher and I only need to teach chemistry. That's not going to get our kids better because guess what? The kid who's in class who's dealing with the shit that we just spoke about, the existential thought or the brother who beat them up or whatever it was, that kid's not going to learn the chemistry that you think you, you're teaching them because they're quiet in class. They're not absorbing that. So even if their goal is just to teach chemistry, the end goal doesn't work if we're not showing that empathy and we're not allowing kids to open up. So, so why don't we take those billions of dollars, put it to teachers' salary, pay them the way they should, you know, and not and make it where they want to be there and just not to teach chemistry just to make that dollar, right? Well, and, and, and let's just face it here. None of this stuff we're talking about is – it's nobody's fault. Like, it's nobody's fault. It's it's what we've it's what we've experienced in life, but we somehow take ownership of what happened. You know what I mean? And I would say nine times out of ten, when you unpack all this stuff, you get to that place where you go, you know what? This wasn't my fault. This is DNA. My, you know, this is chemistry. This is so many different things. And why am I, why am I taking so much responsibility for all this stuff that happened? You know, somehow, some way I got to find a way to let it go so that I can move forward. Right. So that I can experience peace, joy, happiness, and serenity, because to me, that's the ultimate goal when we're on this path and we're on this journey, how do I get there? And if I keep attaching, you know, uh, responsibility to what happened, I'm just going to keep spinning my tires, right? So that's where, you know, uh, the spirituality piece and all this is, is you know, I got to turn it over to something bigger than me because, you know what? Amen. When, when, Amen. I'm, running, when I'm running the show, 
it's a fucking shit show. <laughs> like it's a complete shit show when I'm running the show. So I, I need something on a spiritual level to be able to just say, you know what? I don't need this anymore. You can have it back. Right. So I'm going to put this back out in the universe and see what it comes back as after I put out in the universe. And, and when I told my story for the first time, I was fucking shitting my pants because I didn't know how all of you were going to react. And what I made up in my mind was the complete opposite of what actually happened. Oh yeah. Big time. Right. God bless that. Well, and I think that's a great way to, to, to round this all up is if we can teach kids, students, teach teachers, I know that sounds awkward, school administrators, even the school professionals, how to open up, how to share, the importance of sharing, how good feeling shares. How to be vulnerable. How to be vulnerable. And what we, what Theo just shared and, and what Brent seemed to be endorsing, which is how different the reaction typically is when we share, as opposed to people pointing fingers and saying, ha ha, wow, wow, look at you. No, they start to see some of that in themselves and they say, wow, I can relate to that. But how, that, that, how can you judge when somebody says, I have dyslexia or I was raped 150 times by my coach? Like, how can you possibly not have compassion and empathy for that for that kind of story? Because people fear the, fear the judgment. They fear the judgment of saying it out loud. And that's why. We, or they fear that they fear themselves. How beautiful was it when we went to my own town? And, you know, where a girl who was one of the most popular girls in her middle school, you know, opened up and said that she had obsessive compulsive disorder and her, I mean, the support wasn't just there to be supportive and watch us. They weren't looking for affirmation from us. I mean, that to watch people in the act of sharing their story and the gratification of someone watching someone who's sharing their story when they're young. What a gift. Yeah, I think I think the less the label and more the the openness that she wasn't perfect because this is a beautiful girl who her friends came there to support her event didn't know that she was going to be speaking. She ends up opening up. You could tell she was visibly shaken because it was so difficult to open up for the first time. We all know what that was like the first time but we opened perfect, up. Who's perfect in this world? Right. To, who's perfect? Nobody. Right. right. But, it, well, but it's beautiful, Brett. perfect guy, and they nailed him to a cross. So, <laughs> Amen. God bless to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> listen, you know, Brent and I, Brent's actually coming with me. Theo, Theo can't get out of Canada just yet, so he'll be coming to the next one. Brent and I are going to an event on September 9th in Broward County, Broward County County Mental Health event, and uh, hope to make a big impact there. Um, you'll see Brent sharing his story sharing a lot about his foundation more on the same here channels guys this was an amazing conversation because it was just raw and i could have this all day um but uh, let's continue to get back together let's continue to open up this way and brent i just want to thank you for coming on man it was it was an awesome show 
Oh, thank you for having me. Anytime. You guys want it, you know what? You guys got a friend here no matter what. Uh, if it's 2 in the morning, 2 in the afternoon, you know where to find me. Uh, we're all together. Uh, I'm up that late. So we probably I, I all will... don't sleep, too. So yeah. you know, maybe we'll do a 3 a.m. Exactly. Yeah. I, watch, I, watch, I watch Brent play and, and uh, often wish I had the opportunity to play with him because he was that kind of team player. So That's awesome. That's a cool way to end. Well, on behalf of Darren Devell, Theo Fleury, Brent Sopel, Eric Houston here. Another episode of We're All a Little Crazy brought to you by the Hashtag Same Here Global Mental Health Movement and the Hockey Podcast Network. We will see you next week. You just heard We're All a Little Crazy brought to you by the Hashtag Same Here Global Mental Health Movement and the Hockey Podcast Network.